1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jesse Collings. And joining with me today uh, is my WrestleNomics co-host. He is the – what is your official title at WrestleNomics, Brandon? We haven't really gotten over this before because you're not the founder because that's Mookie.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Mookie is like, not, not involved anymore. Mookie is not I'm involved I am the sole, I'm the sole uh, owner, I guess. Um, I think I usually tell people editor slash owner.
1: Yeah. Owner, proprietor. Yeah. Publisher. That's a fan, That's an old fashioned term that we would use.
0: Publisher. Uh, for yeah, for, we're for we're our news outlets. Reason. But
1: um, joining me is Brandon Thurston, who you can find every Sunday uh, at 11 a.m. hosting WrestleNomics. I'm co-host on that show, as well as Chris Gullo, um, which I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with. Um, you also are now hosting is that is the is the Pollock and Thurston show. Is that now officially a weekly thing?
0: I think so. There are graphics. There was a discussion along the lines of, yes, we're going to do this every week. Um I guess like any any podcast, we might take a week off here or there. but mm-hmm. we have been doing it every week for ten weeks, I think
1: and can can you describe the kind of like what what that show is or what kind of the purpose of that show is?
0: At the moment, we have a guest on uh, it, with the exception of the the earnings call when it's a w earnings call week on on that week and probably in the future and We'll, we'll, it will be just be John and I, Um but we have a guest on for 20 to 45 minutes, and then we talk a bit after just about the the latest news in, in wrestling, wrestling business.
1: Mm-hmm. And people can find that on the post-wrestling feed?
0: They can, and they can find it on, on the Wrestleomics feed, po- both in, in the case of podcast feeds and in the case of um YouTube as well. Yeah.
1: So it's kind of like you could you could have watched uh, Forbidden Door on New Japan World, or you could watch it on, uh, on a pay-per-view provider. <laughs>
0: Well, if you live in Japan, you could have watched Forbidden Door on the Japan yeah. World, right? This is global, no matter where you are, right?
1: Um, but everyone knows, of course, Brandon, that you're you know closely follow the economics of pro wrestling and your knowledge of the different business deals involving the professional wrestling industry. Uh, but I don't know do, do do people know that you were an independent wrestler for a long time and that you have experience as a, as an in ring
0: performer? I don't know. Do they? I. Um, It's not something that I, like, try to lean on a lot, I guess. Like, it's because I know that I'm not, the you know, I obviously didn't wrestle for major companies or anything like that. And as far as an indie wrestler goes, it's not like I traveled as much as indie wrestlers that people listening to this are probably most familiar with. I wrestled for a long time, but I had not as many matches as much more well-traveled people did. Um, so, and I'm not like, I don't believe in all this ad hominem stuff that I hear a lot of other people use to say, well, I know because I was, you know, I was in the ring. And and I think I've learned a lot from people who'd never been in the ring about, about how wrestling works and things like that. So I think, you know, people who have wrestled, obviously have valuable experience, but
1: yeah. and, And I was thinking about this, uh, yesterday, um, and it's perfect kind of to what we're, the topic related uh, to what we're going to discuss today. But I was thinking that despite the fact that like a million wrestlers have their own podcasts or are involved in some sort of media pursuit, there aren't really a lot of former pro wrestlers that are in like... Like I don't know, I want to call it critical analysis pro wrestling media or more like kind of the hardcore wrestling fan serving media. Like, I mean, like a lot of these wrestlers that have podcasts have podcasts recapping their career and kind of talking about stories from the road and things that they learn and things like that. But as far as like people that are analyzing the day-to-day business of pro wrestling and the day-to-day storylines, um, there really isn't that many wrestlers like when you compare it to another sport like if you want to hear someone talk about the NBA today like every NBA player that's involved in media uh, is 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 talking about would talk about the NBA today or any other sport um, but in pro wrestling like there's you know there's Lance Storm at figure at four wrestling there's you know Brian Alvarez obviously um, who's similar matt, to you? you can
0: still uh still review uh i don't broad. think
1: matt does anything but matt was involved on wrestling inc for for a while but i don't think he does anything anymore but when you look at like who is kind of like going over wrestling each week there aren't a lot of actual former pro wrestlers with substantial experience um involved and i i kind of thought that was a little unusual because of how much you know time and how much entertainment there is both in you know, people following wrestling day to day and also all these wrestlers that have podcasts yet at the same time, we don't have a ton of wrestlers that are involved in like what I would call, you know, popular, uh, mediums for for day-to-day pro wrestling analysis talking about the current product it's it's almost all of the former pro wrestlers are involved in like nostalgia based things and it's obviously easier for them to talk about it it doesn't require them to stay up to date on everything it doesn't require them to watch the product each week which is a significant time commitment um as everyone knows but it is kind of allows for i think like a shortage of, of really experienced people to talk about Things like we're talking about today, when we're looking at the landscape of how are pro wrestlers being trained, how is talent being developed, how are they being pushed and marketed, and there just aren't a lot of people with you know your level of experience or more uh, in that kind of field. I feel like
0: I should review content more. This is the, this is the moral of the story here? I don't know. I, the, the closest thing I can think of for what you're you're thinking about there is I remember for a, this is years ago I guess now. Is it, does Steve Austin still do his podcast? But anyway, I remember he would have like Wade Keller and maybe even had Meltzer on at times, and they would like review a pay per view. So not like a RAW, they weren't doing weekly stuff. But when there was a pay per view, they would, you know, he would go go basically review the show. I thought.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know if Steve does. I definitely don't think he does that anymore. I think he maybe does his show where he'll interview talent. Um, and I think that's kind of relatively infrequent. I haven't looked at it in a while. I mean, uh, Chris Jericho has his own pod, right? As an active wrestler. There are active wrestlers with, with podcasts. Um, but even Jericho, uh, you know, Jericho will like interview like, you know, fellow wrestlers and they'll talk about like the industry. But as far as like, I guess like being connected with like uh, a, a a larger entity of wrestling media, we don't have many people doing that. And uh, why do you think that, that
0: is? I, I I would guess it's, Part of it is just the subjective nature of wrestling, and to go out there and inevitably, if you're going to do it honestly, <laughs> critique your your I don't know if they're your peers, but if if you're older or a retired wrestler or something like that, and you're talking about what's happening currently, it 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 seems like a, a lightning rod for for getting heat with with people or you know putting into doubt whether you're going to be brought into WWE or or AEW right. if you want a, a job somewhere,
1: right. Um you you know it might hurt your ability to do it honestly like you said um i think it's a time commitment thing like it, it's a lot of it. like you're going to watch dynamite and raw and smackdown and collision every week um you're going to watch the pay-per-views each week you know every few weeks when they come out that's a lot a lot of commitment and if people got other things going on if they're retired pro wrestlers they have maybe other business interests or whatever or they just don't want to follow the business that closely um
0: and i think that the difference is if you're as you're thinking of like the analysts who sit there at the desks at, uh, you know, before the NBA, NFL Mm -hmm. games and so forth, there's at least an objective thing that they can measure about whether somebody won or lost the game or what the stats are. And in wrestling, obviously there, there are wins and losses, but they're predetermined and, and they're based on somebody's subjective judgment about what direction they want the, the company and the creative to go in. Um, so I just think there's more of a in in legit sports you're be, you're able to lean on you know the the wins and losses and the score and the stats as like you know well you can't really blame them for criticizing you know so and so who's in a slump because I mean look at the numbers it's it's a it's objective and plain as day and there's no controversy about it in wrestling it's different we have business numbers but those are an animal unto themselves.
1: So the topic today. what I i was thinking about this yesterday was about 10 years ago the way that talent is developed in professional wrestling especially major television talent in the united states is developed in pro wrestling goes through a a really significant shift um which is wwe um which who had been using various independent Uh, wrestling groups as kind of a a training school for their talent. You know, they were associated with the USWA in the nineties in Memphis. They had, you know, a long uh, relationship with Ohio Valley wrestling uh, in the early two thousands. They had, you know, they they used some like deep South wrestling down in Georgia for a brief period of time. Uh, And then of course, Florida championship wrestling towards the the later ends of the, of the two thousands and into the early 2010s. And, they decide to kind of transform Florida Championship Wrestling into NXT, the WWE Performance Center, which was, in a lot of ways, pouring a lot more investment and formalizing uh, a lot of how they were going to train talents and providing kind of a more um, corporate look to to training and, and and evaluating potential wrestlers, I think that's fair to say. Um, And now that we have, and that changes everything. And and at the same time, WWE also becomes much more accepting of signing wrestlers who were trained on the independence, wrestlers who had extensive experience outside of a WWE developmental territory, something that they had been hesitant to do um, for, you know, the prior 15 years. You know, you can start with like CM Punk as kind of the first real independent wrestler that had a a name on the Indies to, to kind of get a crack in WWE you know, Brian Danielson follows um, Seth Rollins comes in towards, you know, the end of of the 2010, uh, 2000s. Uh, And you start seeing kind of a different, so you have those two changes. You have WWE starting to pick up independent talent and you also have the creation of the Performance Center. Um, And that changes kind of everything in how talent would develop uh, for for everywhere, both on the independents and of course, within WWE. Um, And now that 10 years have gone by, we have a little bit more time and perspective to see on how things have changed, what kind of talent have come through the pipeline, uh, how that has impacted talent both in WWE and outside of WWE. And I'll start with this, Brandon, like as someone who has, you know, trained wrestlers before, uh, and when you first kind of were able to wrap your head around the, the WWE Performance Center and kind of what they were doing in Orlando what were your kind of initial thoughts on how this would impact how would the how would this be as, as far as training talent like were you impressed with what they were doing
0: I guess I mean the the reason why they opened the performance center of among the reasons is to to recruit people i imagine they had trouble recruiting or certainly they would more easily recruit athletes if you're able to say look at our world class uh, training center in a nice area in florida it's in orlando as opposed to sending you to a warehouse in Louisville, Kentucky, or something like that. Um, I mean, they have all the resources in the world and there should be no reason why they shouldn't be able to succeed really well at training wrestlers.
1: And this is something we've talked about a lot before. Now that we're kind of... Because the Performance Center opens... When is... I think it opens in 2013, does it not?
0: July 2013.
1: Yeah, so we're literally... 10 years that was kind of uh incidental on my end but we're recording this on june 30th so we're, we're basically 10 years on from the performance center um and how would you how would you describe the out output of talent over those 10 years from the ww performance center
0: well the, the opening of it so in july 2013 and i and i think there's this big shift in, in paul of philosophy around mid to late 2014 where he starts to, I mean, I, I've talked about this before. Where you can look at, listen to the, um, the media calls that he would do around that time. Where in early 2014, he says that it's easier to just retrain, you know, to to take somebody as a blank slate because they don't have the bad habits, and we want to run a certain playbook. And sometimes people, people are so used to running their playbook that it's easier to just bring somebody in from scratch and train them that way. And by the end of the year, he's hiring Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, Kenta. And it just progresses from there in terms of embracing wrestlers who had experience outside and sort of bringing the buzz that they have with them into the company through the takeovers and all that. Um, but you're asking about the, the the output specifically over the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Who do we got here? Um, that that I would say. So I've done like data studies on this, right? And it's where do you draw the line about when it's because I you could draw the line at like July twenty thirteen and say, okay, everybody who started to have matches at that point, but all those people had a lot of their experience already from FCW. So you might want to start a little bit after that. In any case, who who are the wrestlers that come to mind as being really pure PC projects who've made uh, uh, who've had success on the main roster? Bianca Belair comes to mind. Alexa Bliss. Liv Morgan. Mostly women here. Um, Who else? Braun Strowman, Baron, Baron Corbin. Braun Strowman. Yes. Baron Corbin. Certainly. Omar Omas? Yes. The giant. Um, so
1: else, but, but realistically, when we're looking at when, when, when the, they would, you know, talk on the investors calls about the WW performance center, it was always presented as this is where we're going to create the next John Cena. This is where we're going to create the next Roman Reigns, the next Rock, the next Steve Austin—it's always, you know, presented. And I'm sure the goals were: we are going to find our next super duper big stars, and we're going to produce them ourselves. And that hasn't been the case. Like we can point to Baron Corbin has had a, a a nice career, all things considered. I'm sure he's made a substantial amount of money. Uh, he's wrestled for many years on WWE television. Uh, I believe he's headlined at least one pay per view before. Um, but he is not the kind of person that you would look at and say like, that is the kind of talent we want to produce out of the Performance Center. Uh, But he is probably one of the biggest successes from the Performance Center. And I think that's hard to stomach. Uh, If you're looking at it, this was supposed to be the proving ground for our next tremendous generation of pro wrestlers.
0: So we have Nia Jax is another one you could say. She certainly had a lot of time on the main roster. And, um, Yeah,
1: and success is so relative in the sense of like, from my end, I'm looking at it as like, okay, who are like the big stars that you produced? And the answer is not that many. Um, other internally from WWE, I have no idea. They might look at someone like Omos, who they took from scratch as an, you know, a, a extremely like a limited athlete, and they think that they've gotten a ton out of him because he's, you know, wrestled big matches at WrestleMania and he's been on pay-per-views and he's made it to television. And to a degree, that is success. And is that the kind of person you're looking to produce out of the Performance Center? To an extent, yes, but I would think most people would look at almost and be like, "Well, he's not. A, he really shouldn't be a shiny example because he's simply not very good, and he's got a real. There's a real limit to how you can use him."
0: I mean, when in, in terms of what they will say on an earnings call, and then there's not so much of this talk these days, but certainly in in the years after the performance center opened, there, you know, they would basically credit people like Sammy Zayn to the performance center. Basically, anybody who was who came through the performance center, including nakamura and people like that who had a lot of experience obviously before they came to wwe they were all being referred to as you know people who we trained at the performance center um i'm just looking through the list of people who have had like the most ple matches and like who's who of these people uh what i say is a a, there are some edge cases like you know sasha banks i would say is somebody who had some in the experience but most of it most of it FCW and, and NXT, right? Right.
1: There's it's there's a lot of great cases in the case of did this person benefit from going to the performance center to or working at NXT? Absolutely. I think someone like you know, like I'm sure Sami Zayn benefited in some ways of, of wrestling in NXT instead of just going right to the main roster, but he's largely the same wrestler that he was before he came to, to WWE. Um, but for someone like, you know, Sasha Banks or, or Bailey, or these people that had more limited independent experience. So I'm looking at this money in the bank card. This is, you know, money in the bank, which is, which is tomorrow and is one of their, you know, five or six biggest shows of the year. I would say traditionally, um, and I'm looking at, like, who is on this card that you could chop up to being a product of the WWE Performance Center? Uh, and I'm looking at all of these names, and I would say you have um, Liv Morgan, who has who I believe had no experience before being signed by WWE, but I'm not sure about that.
0: She might have had a couple indie matches, but I yeah. would say it's not, not, nothing significant.
1: You have, um, Raquel Rodriguez, who is, I think, in a similar vein. Uh, you know, she was trained by Booker T, um, but had most of her career has been in WWE, had limited in- experience. So that that's two. Um, you have Dominic Mysterio, whose training is kind of uncertain as far
0: as how, how about Ronda Rousey? Like, what, what, what do you do about cases like Ronda Well, I was, gonna,
1: okay. I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna bring up her and another person that's on this card as, as mm-hmm. kind of separate cases. Okay. So you have, you have live. let's be generous. live Morgan, Raquel R- R- Rodriguez, Da Mysterio. Um, Zoe Stark is another person who's kind of like a, like a, like a Sasha Banks kind of style where she did have, she has more indie experience than I think live Morgan or Raquel Rodriguez, but not necessarily a ton. You know, she was wrestling on championship wrestling from Hollywood for a few years before coming to WWE. So she's kind of on the borderline. And then you have solo Sokoa who is like really to me like the only 100 percent performance center generated person that's on this card um you also have logan paul and ronda rousey who are different for a lot of reasons where they were they were trained by the performance center but were not typical uh you know wwe trainee signees were not developed the same way did not spend you know a year in nxt did not work the the florida house show loop to get uh, to, to get reps in at pro wrestling they're they're totally different entities as celebrity kind of wrestlers um but you look at this money in the bank card which is again we have 10 years of the performance center and there's a lot of people on the show because you have so many multi-person matches um and you really only have a handful of people that could be contributed even considered to be performance center uh wrestlers and what does that say about performance center and, and kind of more importantly what does that say about how WWE has been able to develop talents over the last 10 years
0: like a, on one hand you'd say well look they've got nobody here who's a peer project or very few people here who, are, who we would call pure PC projects mm-hmm. and there's probably something wrong with the performance center I mean I sort of lean toward in that direction Um Into to make a case that is kind of reasonable. It was pretty reasonable, I think. Though that you could say, well, does do you necessarily need rust need to create everybody from scratch, or should you should you necessarily have say half this card or most of this card consist of wrestlers who we trained from scratch, we brought them in from athletics and and put them in the performance center and trained them how to be wrestlers for the first time, or is it just appropriate and natural that in WWE, which is the biggest wrestling company in the world? we've got a lot of talent who came in here and, you know, they had a lot of wrestling uh, experience beforehand and they graduated and graduated up to the point where, where they're with us now and we're trying to get the most out of them. Um, I think both of those things are probably true. You know, that there's maybe some there's something wrong with the performance center. I would guess I've never been there. I, I couldn't tell you what exactly is happening there day to day and, and what their training is truly like. Um, but it is. I think it is also natural that. I mean, I think W, w just has a very different philosophy about what wrestling should be, uh, beyond the extent that, that I think it is really appropriate for for marketing purposes. Uh, overwhelmingly, I think that's instilled by Vince Man and, and the philosophical legacy that he's instilled into the company. Uh, so that I think that's sort of out of match with the market and, and with what wrestling is and could be. Um, so I think that that is sort of that that is skewing a lot of the evaluation i think
1: right and like you could look at this card and i would say that from a a wwe perspective just like as a fan like it's a good card there's major matches on the card there's a lot of good wrestlers on the card it's it's has a lot of people that are over on it it's not like the product is, is a disaster because they have no talents and it come in because they can't develop their own talent. That's why they have no talent. That's not the case. This is a, the WWE has plenty of talents. They have signed a lot of really good wrestlers. A lot of them are on this show. They've, um, you know, still got a lot of people from, you know, the FCW days that are contributing, obviously that main event, which is, you know, Roman Reigns is, is, is an FCW wrestler. The Usos are also FCW wrestlers. You know, that's three quarters of your main event. Um, so you're still seeing contributions on that end. So it's not like the, the company is necessarily in a dire need to develop its own talent. That seems to, it's more of just like that was has been a stated goal of theirs and it doesn't seem to have come to fruition. And I agree with you in that. I think WWE and, and Vince McMahon specifically have a very particular view on like what they wanna teach people to become pro wrestlers. And I think nxt 2.0 and what that kind of brand has turned into over the last 18 months has given us a lot more insight into that which is we want wrestlers who look a certain way who probably played a sport in college who have a a character that they can project onto the screen um maybe that's carl fredericks being a dj maybe that's um you know tony d'angelo being a mobster you know, maybe that's Wendy Chu pretending that she's really sleepy or something like that. It it, it might not be a good gimmick, but it is a, a personality that can project. And that's what they're really focused on. Um, Not necessarily the same things that other institutions that are training and developing pro wrestlers are focused on. And in WWE's mind, it's because WWE isn't pro wrestling, it's sports entertainment, and it's very different in what our talent needs to be good at is different than what someone that is in the new japan pro wrestling dojo needs to be good at or someone that AEW is looking at or someone that uh that a uh you know an indie wrestling school is looking at um and, and that's their perspective on it i think that probably shapes a lot of what comes out of nxt um but even if that's true even if the idea is well, we're training people differently because we're different we're training sports entertainers we're not changing training pro wrestlers we're getting these these you know blue blue chip athletes right out of college even if that's true wouldn't it still reason to to wonder why none of those people are on this card or none of these people have real significant impacts within wwe um the people that do have significant impacts are people that were trained as pro wrestlers not trained as sports entertainers and internally if i was wwe i would really be looking at those results and wonder be like maybe maybe this isn't
0: working yeah i, th- I think it's there should be more results that, that than there are of pure athletes who, who came in to to the company that has the most resources to to turn them into great wrestlers. Um, I mean the justification for doing the NIL program, which is their, it's a more advanced recruitment of athletes than they've ever done before, is they point to examples like Biggie and Roman Reigns as athletes who had prior, flipped in their case. Was was the Biggie a football player? I yeah, mean, he, was. he played football
1: was. at the University of Iowa.
0: And and look at you know wrestlers who came in from from other uh, athletic endeavors and and they came in and became very good wrestlers with no wrestling experience. Both of those cases certainly. Um, also, pre PC was a lot of their development, right? It was in FCW,
1: right? And obviously, Roman is 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 a you know a multi generational wrestler, mm-hmm. which probably gives you some advantage. and, you would, and if you look at who are real standouts of WWE trained talents in recent years. Um, I would look at, first of all, all four members of that main event, Solo Sokoa, Roman Reigns, and the Usos are all second generation wrestlers. um, If not third generation in Solo's case, I'm not sure quite what the the family tree is. Hard to follow. (laughs) Right, right. But all people who had, you know, parents that grew up in wrestling, obviously, which is different. You know, Charlotte Flair is another one. Of someone who i would say is, has been a success from a wwe trained perspective um obviously a second generation wrestler there um so you look at some of those names and be like okay that and, that and that gives you maybe a different head start and wwe to their credit has always been pretty good at developing second generation wrestlers you can look at the rock you can look at randy Orton, you can look at cody rhodes um they have always been that has always been something that they've been actually good at doing
0: over the years tamina
1: Tamina Snuka is another one. Yes. I mean, Still I mean, a there's company. a lot, there's a lot more and there's, 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 you know, look at, you know, Braun Breaker in, in NXT right now, obviously there's, I mean, there's, there's tons everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Um, And, and we talk about like, uh, you know, the performance there we want, we, you have the NIL deal, right? It didn't. So you, you, you said it as kind of a recruitment method, which makes sense, which is WWE paying athletes while they're in college, um, with the idea being that they'll consider be more likely to consider a career in wwe once they graduate college um and are and, and are looking at you know the next step of their future and if it's not going to be playing a sport at the professional level uh is wwe a, a good option um and the idea is like do you, do you think i don't i don't really get the sense that it was like and, and maybe they would obviously have a much better insight on this but i never got the sense that it was like a challenge for wwe to get former college athletes to come work for them. It obviously helps to have the performance center. It obviously helps to have NIL deals, but you could see like they were signing talent all the time that were, and they would give out the press release and they would say like, oh, you know, this person came in, you know, this guy, you know, former you know, football player at the university of Portland. And like uh, this woman, you know, former track and field star from, you know Texas A&M university or, or whatever um it, it didn't seem like there was like a, a historically a, pro, a shortage of WWE being able to recruit college athletes yet the nil deals seem to be connected in the sense of we want to be even better at doing that or they want higher caliber athletes does that really make a difference um
0: i th- i think i don't know it, it definitely enhances their ability to do it because it's not just hiring but but actually sponsoring mm-hmm. and waiting for them to to come in um it seems like something that has a nikon flavor to it in that like you know this is what what would be done in in a sports organization this is what we should do you know we should just sponsor people and he's made the argument that there are not even even looking beyond football um which is their main main area for for male athletes but look at all these sports that don't have a pro sports league that you know it's basically a college sport and then that's it and as he would say and then there's no place for them to go well they can go to wwe so
1: right i always thought nil in some ways was used as like a marketing uh plan for wwe especially when they talk to the media talking about and yeah. in, in investors like we got this new thing nil look this revolutionary idea where you know we go to a a, a good college football player but they're not going to make the nfl we say what if you could pro wrestling a try as if that's that's been a method that's been used for like literally a hundred years to recruit people to professional wrestling but it's being used kind of as a, as a, oh, this is a new idea when it's been done for, for generations. The only difference is now you can pay college athletes um, uh, formally through the NIL deals that, that that are the real difference. And so WWE can be listed as a sponsor of, of a, a college athlete. I want to ask you this as, as someone who has trained uh, a lot of pro wrestling talents. When you were training talents, did you ever do like athletic evaluations the way that we, they sometimes get talked about in NXT. Like, do you ever have people do bench press and, and sprints and time them and things like that?
0: <laughs> there was no combine, <laughs> but um, we would do a, a, a tryout mm-hmm. um, r- professional wrestling being professional wrestling. And this is, I feel like this is kind of controversial, but like professional wrestling being professional wrestling, you know, especially on the indie level, you get every type of person comes through the door. And I was very strict. You know, I, I wanted people to be in shape because I mean, like the way I looked at it is like, I wanted this to be worth my time. And I, and I was afraid that we would get classes full of people who were not in a great position to succeed because they were not already in good physical shape. Um, and like the the classic case against this is like well, we had Puff, and you know I wouldn't wouldn't train Puff for a while. And this was a storyline. Uh, yes, beyond yes. wrestling, was that I,
1: you were you refused to train Puff?
0: Basically, I mean that that wouldn't be inaccurate. Um, he he still hung out at the at the gym and like yeah. did stuff. And, and, and for guess, people
1: don't, who don't know, Puff is an independent wrestler who's a super heavyweight. Um, yes, in the Buffalo area, that was one of Brandon's students, basically.
0: I sort of because yeah. I like I wouldn't train and most of the I, I think he had maybe a little bit of training before he came to us but um and then he just like had a practice match and at an Ethan Page seminar that that we had at the school and he did really well and I, I had to like admit all right we got to let you train now um but yeah but that's that's the classic case I mean like I wanted I was trying to do sort of a, a poor man's like New Japan dojo and I wanted you know excellent athletes to, to to come in and be ready to go and and to not have these large class sizes where most of your time is spent sitting around, you know, waiting for everybody else to train. You know, I I have no idea what the forum center is like, maybe this is part of the issue. I don't know. But like, I need, I wanted really small classes with people who attended really regularly so that we could, you know, effectively train them. um, And have them do everything a lot to, to sort of, to build the, the, you know, the neural pathways in their brains to like automatically know how to do the fundamentals of pro wrestling. Um, but yeah, but that's, that's probably a a part of why we were able to train, you know, a handful of wrestlers that you've heard of, I think is because we wanted smaller class sizes and we wanted, you know, uh, people who are in shape already. Um,
1: yeah. And I was thinking about, I'm thinking about like from an athletic standpoint, like I think naturally it is logical for one to consider that if someone is a better athlete, maybe they played a sport in college, maybe they were a really good high school athlete, maybe they're just someone who's really fast and can jump high or is naturally strong. Those people would typically be better professional wrestlers because they are really athletic and wrestling is an inherently athletic exercise. Um, but I'm curious to know like, if like the 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 best athletes that you trained... Were were would end up being the best wrestlers that you trained, because that kind of seems to how WWE wants to operate. Which is WWE wants to get the highest level of college athletes they can get. They want and they want to get people that can maybe have the most impressive measurables, with the idea being that those people are going to be the best professional wrestlers. But given that professional wrestling, while an athletic endeavor is also an art form and there are so many other factors that go into making someone a a successful professional wrestler than just them being naturally athletic, I'm curious to know like kind of how that translates in terms of like, this person was an incredible athlete and therefore they ended up becoming a professional wrestler or vice versa. This, because wrestling, if you look at wrestling, it's filled with people who are, you know, extremely athletic, but there's also many successful professional wrestlers that probably wouldn't fare too well in like a combined style evaluation.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I'm not a great athlete, <laughs> Uh but on a certain level, I was a decent wrestler. Um, I don't, I don't know that we ever really had somebody who I would, like i don't know competed in college athletics um right. not really so it's it's hard to say um people who are athletic and who were at least in shape to start with you know, tended to do better but what also i think was a good predictor about whether somebody was going to take to this well besides just attending all the time was that you know whether they had an aptitude for wrestling or had I guess like a wrestling intelligence did they have a passion for a wide variety of wrestling styles you know uh, I, I hesitate because is, is this like, like is this like gatekeeping but like if they were into into wrestling beyond just what was available to them on television had they studied wrestling not, you don't have to be a tape trader anymore but had they studied wrestling online through YouTube and stuff like that were were they you know uh, exploring a wide variety of you know, of, of styles of wrestling that were not just available on, on their, you know, basic cable package. Um, that told me maybe in my bias, but told me that, you know, this is somebody who has, who is really willing to explore a variety of wrestling and, and can really love it from all angles and is into the, 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 the work of, of wrestling is into the, the, way that matches happen and the the styles that they have um so i mean so there's all that and ultimately what first thing we have to do is teach them fundamentals and there are people who take to it really quickly like i think Daniel Garcia was one and there are people who who it's it's hard to teach fundamentals to even if they like we had some people who had you know maybe had like a high school football background so they had at least you know participated in in sports you know and in their, in their academic career, but weren't necessarily coordinated in a way that you need to be, to be, you know, t- to take well to the fundamentals of pro wrestling.
1: Right. Someone having like a really good bench press or maybe being able to run a fast hundred meter dash is different than being a pro wrestler. And if you can look at WWE has look at, and you can look at the performance center and you can say, man, there's a lot of these people that were extremely accomplished uh athletes and they just whatever reason like i always thought like mojo rally to me was always uh, is always a good example of somebody like this because from what i can get first of all mojo rally was an incredible athlete just from everything you would kind of want out of like a professional wrestler: big really strong really quick can jump really high um from what i could tell seemed to have a a, a A passion for pro wrestling or at least wwe style pro wrestling he seemed like someone that was wasn't there just to try to make money but seemed like he really liked professional wrestling and despite years and years of being in wwe he was still clumsy he was still not a very good technical pro wrestler he still lacked a lot of the basic fundamentals that you would need to be to be successful in pro wrestling and was that because of poor instruction was that because of lack of effort or was that um because of you know a lack of uh of of just him he just wasn't ever going to be able to get it because it's just a different it's a certain set of skills that some people inherently are going to have and are going to not some people are inherently not going to have.
0: It could be like I think a lot of it is footwork. Like we had one one student who comes to mind who I maybe mean more than one uh who and maybe had a football background but and wanted to take all these steps and. What you want to do in in pro wrestling, especially when you when you learn the fundamentals, it's important to teach somebody how to step efficiently um, because one of the 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 main things that we often have to teach out of people is don't take so many steps, you know, and for whatever reason you know some people want to run in place and maybe that's a football thing. I don't know. I never, I I played play like one year of football when I was like 11. So hard to say.
1: Right. So in, um, I think it's, you know, that whole aspect of it is interesting to me in the sense of, I think wrestling has never been more athletic as a style, as far as like what is kind of demanded by talent, um, you know, that happens a lot when you, you, we have a lot more smaller athletes in like major wrestling positions than we have in history. So inherently it's probably going to get a little bit quicker. Um, There's more of an emphasis on, on being athletic and doing high spots and things like that. Um, And so you would think that that would pave the way for a lot of these really good athletes, but I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting. Like I remember like, um, Dave and Brian were interviewing Sammy Guevara once and Brian asked like oh you know what sports did you do like Brian you know cuz Sammy's obviously you know a very athletic wrestler and he basically just said like ah no I just I never did sports or anything like I never played football or, or or gymnastics or anything like that he was just like a guy that learned how to do flips and stuff while he was training to be a pro wrestler and I always thought that was kind of fascinating in the sense of here's someone who whether uh you're a huge fan of Sammy or not it's you know obvious that he is you know, a good professional wrestler and can do a lot of the athletic stuff that is required and can get over doing athletic stuff. Yet his athletic background is pretty much non-existent from a formal perspective. And I wonder if, even if, I wonder if he did like, you know, the NXT Performance Center combine, how, how he would even fare. Yet he's, as far as a wrestler, he's much more athletic than many of the people who would probably do very well in the combine.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's tons of wrestlers who don't have any, any athletic background and i don't think it's it's something that's necessary um like as far as again i i don't know that we had all these like athletic specimens but i think most of the wrestlers who we trained were had a a little a little bit of sports background at best i think daniel had some hockey background kevin blackwood i don't know had any athletic background um megabyte ronnie had <laughs> a competitive eating background yeah i mean um, he was a professional
1: was he not he was a professional athlete
0: he's still going he's uh he was doing the nathans or something He trying out or something he's he's still going now um but yeah i uh do you know mr brickster i think he had some some football background mm-hmm. um but yeah it's uh i had me i have no real athletic background beyond like age twelve. I played a lot of indoor soccer as a adolescent, um, but I was not doing any sort of high school uh, athletics. I did. Um, I decided after I was already wrestling and like after you know the Benoit murder and suicide had happened, I kind of was disenchanted with wrestling for for that reason and for other reasons, and I did a, a year of amateur wrestling to to serve pro wrestling basically. And that's like the most academic athletic thing I've ever done.
1: Yeah. And if you were to look at, I'm looking, again, just to use this money in the bank card, which of course is WWE is the highest level. Um, I'm looking at like how many of these people were, were like college athletes? Um, you know, Roman Reigns was. Uh,
0: Matt Riddle is a professional athlete,
1: I would say. Right. Matt Riddle obviously is a professional athlete. Um, Rick Ronda Rousey, Rousey was an Olympian. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, so obviously Rousey is is, is obviously a. Decade. Shayna Baszler. Rousey Riddle. Uh, Shayna obviously. Um, yeah. No, know, Rick Quell, I believe, was a college basketball player.
0: C- Cody was a very good high school wrestler, right?
1: Yes, Cody was a ve- I think he was a state champion amateur wrestler, and I believe he had like scholarships to go like wrestle at, like Penn State or like a Big Ten school, but elected to go into for wrestling. But Cody was a capable. Amateur athlete, but not a college, but did not, you know, actually perform in college. Um,
0: Nakamura, Nakamura is an athlete, right? Certainly, an MMA fighter. Yeah, I
1: guess that's true. Now, Nakamura had a, of had a winning, uh, had a combat sports background. Um, I'm looking at these other people. I don't know if Damien Priest, I don't know what his high school athletic or college, if you played a sport in college, it's obviously very big, so it's possible. Um, I don't know if Solo was a was a I it wouldn't surprise me if he was a college football player, but I'm not sure about that. But there's plenty of people on here who are not athletes in in, in college and things like that. And that's even at the WWE level. So it's not obviously mandatory. Um, but if you look at who WWE signs, um, it's often looking at college athletes and things like that. Um, I wanted to kind of show. Shift- Solo
0: Sokoa played football at American River College and Dickinson State university
1: dickinson state
0: this is what i don't know if that is is that something significant
1: no i believe it's yeah. in ohio uh,
0: he, he played football though in
1: yeah but anyway um i wanted to like to kind of shift gears a little bit and since we talked about wwe i wanted to talk about AEW, which has a, a different kind of approach to talent development um mm-hmm. in the sense of obviously unlike wwe AEW does not have a formal training center that they recruit non-athletes to and train. Now they have recruited some people who come from athletics that did not have a uh, prior wrestling experience. Um, Jade Cargill is obviously one of them. Um, Nam Singh is another one, uh, Anthony Ogogo, um, as guys who, who had, you know, professional uh, sport experiences or college sport experiences. Um, They've also had wrestlers like Hook, who um, I guess was a college athlete, but you know had no prior pro wrestling experience. Um, I don't think Brock Anderson had prior pro wrestling experience. Um, I think one of the guns—I want to say it was—I can't—I don't know if it's Austin or Colton, but one of them did not has has only wrestled for AEW. Basically, they never wrestled before AEW. Um, so we do see people who they have got from scratch. I would say the results have been. Uh, mixed, but it's only a few years, you know, of 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 since they've been developing it. But they also have, um, you know, they've signed a lot of talent who were at very early stages of their careers before AEW signed them, and a lot of that was due to WWE being very aggressive in signing talent and a kind of an arms race to sign young independent talent, which led to them signing a lot of wrestlers who didn't have extensive independent wrestling experience um, that were kind of just breaking out on their own and then they get signed. And now that we're kind of a few years removed from them signing talent like Top Flight, um, signing some of the women's talent that they've signed, people like Layla Hirsch, people like, um, even like Chris Statlander, although she had a little bit more indie experience. Um how like AEW's talent development, which is largely reliant, it seems like on people getting reps on the now discontinued AEW dark um, or or, or occasional television work and how talent has kind of developed in AEW under, you know, its four years, year existence.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you want an indictment of WWE's philosophy that they have to teach everybody their way before they can work on television, I mean... Why? Why does it? Why is AEW able to put mostly wrestlers who have never worked in WWE onto television and have the relative success that they've had? I know the viewership is like half or a third of what WWE's is, but it's still a show. You know, it's it's still a, a promotion that is able to, you know, be one of the most watched shows on Wednesday and sell over hundred thousand pay per view buys for their shows, um, and sell sixty five thousand uh tickets at Wembley. So. What what are they doing in WWE that is so essential that you you really have to you know be be exposed to to their magic potion? I mean I don't know what what it is. Uh, and AW existed without any of that, without any training center. Um, in AEW's case, though, I would say I would I would be encouraging more wrestlers to work the indies, and I don't know what 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 the incentives are here that are. To my view, I mean, I could be wrong, but to my view, there that a lot of the wrestlers in AEW don't have a lot of pre-AEW experience, aren't, are not working in the indies very much. Um, I don't know if they're worried about injuries or if they're worried about other things, uh, worried about the quality of the shows that they, they they'd be working. But I think it would, you know, behoove the 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 Jade Cargills and the Hooks and the Guns and things like that to be working in the indies as much as possible to get that experience um, that I don't think they're really efficiently going to get in AEW alone.
1: Yeah, and I think that now that we're kind of a few years removed from from AW, you know, establishing itself, and we have a, a little bit of time to kind of go back and look at people that they've signed, um, have the talent. It the and part of it is WWE has the advantage in the sense that they have NXT. Um, they've restarted the Florida House shows. They have um, these wrestlers who can work a lot without necessarily having to be on television all the time. And AEW has a very large roster. It's a very competitive roster in the sense of the talents that you are being forced to go up against. And if you're a wrestler like a a Darius Martin and you have like a couple of years of indie experience, you're in your early twenties, it's in in your, you know, the people that you're competing with TV time for are Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega and CM Punk and the Young Bucks. Or, or people like MJF, um, Sting, or Chris Jericho, it's going to be tough for you to find work each week on television. And if you're not working each week on television, where are you working? Um, you know, we've seen some AEW talent work on the indies, um, but some talent doesn't. And it seems to be almost a kind of a personal choice of whether or not someone wants to dedicate. I'm looking
0: their- at Jade Cargill's cage match. She's never had a match outside of AEW or no. Jericho Cruz. None.
1: No. Um, and some wrestlers, in, you know, do work a lot of independents. Uh, I know, like, Max Caster worked a ton of independent dates last year. And I actually think Max Caster is one of the most improved wrestlers on the AEW roster. I think he's significantly better as an in-ring wrestler than he was when he first started. Um, it helps that he's got, you know, his gimmick is over. And, you know, he's now someone that's going to get TV matches on a regular basis. Um, but that probably wasn't the case when he was first signed. And I think that that is a... Um, I think you're right in the sense of, I think AEW signed a lot of talent, but with limited TV time and yes, you add AEW collision, but when you lose Dart, you, but they've lost the darks. And the darks were a place for people to kind of get reps without any real pressure on them. Uh, yeah.
0: And it's we, gonna... we've, we, we criticize WWE for warehousing talent would be mm-hmm. the phrase. Right. And for, for, well, for basically defensively signing talent uh, to keep them away from AEW and other competitors. And I think there's something to, to AW, they've signed so much talent and how are they going to develop if you don't use them? looking at Jade Cargill's cage match still, and, and, you know, 24 matches in 2022 and the most recently completed, you know, full year, she had 16 through five months of this year. So, I mean, if you just, I know she's going to be inactive or whatever, for whatever reason. And, uh, so if you doubled that, that's like 32 matches in a year. That's not enough. I think to, to develop a, a, a wrestler who really still needs to be developed, um, yeah, all these relationships with all these other companies around the world, you know, DDT and New Japan and so forth and uh Tokyo Joshi Pro, um, maybe start That I think it would be it would behoove AEW to send wrestlers on excursion, but that's like never happened, right?
1: No, it hasn't happened. Um Triple A, yeah. It hasn't happened. And you think about, and, and Jade is kind of a, is, is Jade is closer to like a, to me, like a, the way WWE uses Ronda Rousey or, or even Logan Paul is almost like, she's not like a celebrity signing, but she was pushed from her very first match and was given consistent TV time every single week. And it was a different type of project than you would normally see. Um, but I look at someone like Brock Anderson, who you presumably want to to do something with in pro wrestling. I'm looking at his cage match right now. He's had 47 career matches and he's been wrestling for three years. He's only had five matches in 2023. He's had four in AW and one in Ring of Honor. Um, he did work, you know, a few indie dates here and there last year. So he has done some indie dates, but that's just probably not enough matches for someone to really find themselves. And they're again, they're going to struggle to find their way on television when they're competing
0: with, you know, some of the biggest names in the
1: industry and some of the most talented wrestlers in the world.
0: Um like what would be the reasons why they're not working indies more? I understand people who are more developed and, and who who have, you know, they're they're already perceived as as excellent wrestlers that they don't want to go out there and risk injury unless it's for a good enough price. But for as you said the Brock Anderson's of the world, Jade Cargills, what's it, it doesn't serve AEW.
1: Yeah. So what is the um what 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 was the prior motivation for people uh to work what's the main motivation for people who are on the indies right now uh to work the indies why the why travel for, why go to for the shows?
0: For, for the for all the money you make um to to develop your career so that you eventually get signed by somebody and to to make a little bit of money in the meantime, at least, at least so you're not losing money and people on the high end certainly are making money and selling, especially if they're selling merchandise well, um, to get your name out there, brother. Right. Um, you
1: want to, you want to get, you want to get better. You want to get seen by more people and you want to eventually get signed by probably either WWE or AEW. Um, so you can start making like a real career in professional wrestling. Um, and if you are someone who's already been signed by AEW and you're being paid, whatever, you know, a downside guarantee or whatever, however, their contracts are structured. Um, what there's not nearly, there's no financial that, incentive. Yeah. There's and if you're already like, if you're a Jade Cargill, for example, uh, who's independently very wealthy and is married to, you know, a former MLB baseball player, um, is, uh, you know what is the motivation for me to be like i'm already signed by AEW i'm already uh, pushed on television i win all my matches on television i'm presented like a star i had this title that i had for over a year um what is my motivation to go work you know an indie in front of 250 people somewhere
0: uh what it- financially why- it's not there i guess the, the argument would be that if you want to become an even bigger star for AEW you you know Jade Cargill and Brock Anderson need a lot more experience to get a lot better than they are because they're not very good in the ring yet. Jade Cargill's got a lot of star power, but is she a great wrestler who's who's you know meeting her potential as far as you know being a, an even bigger star and being capable of having great matches? No. Um and the way that that's going to happen is not just in the matches. Like I don't have any belief here that she's going to have she'll come back eventually I, I guess, but I don't have a belief that she's going to become like a high end match quality capable wrestler mm-hmm. just through the matches. She's going to have in AEW.
1: Right. And I think that, um, but I think for if I'm Jade, I'm like, why do I have to become a good wrestler?
0: You don't, if you're, if you're happy with the, with the level that you're at, I mean, that's, and she's that's presented
1: cool. as a star. She's marketed by W by AEW as, you know, a signature star for them. Um, She's on, you know, she she had merchandise. She's on, you know, the cover of of posters. Um, yeah. From her and end, if, it's like
0: if I were if we W or AW, my I would want her not necessarily work the US Indies. Maybe that's not the most efficient place to develop at this point either. But maybe we talk to you know, let's have you do a tour in in Japan. Maybe Stardom will take you. Maybe maybe Triple or something like that. I think that that those would be really worthwhile. Uh, excursions to go on to to develop talent
1: yeah and i think you're also talking about like from the end of you know working the u.s independence is especially now that aw has you know a weekly show on saturday nights like if you're working the independence like are you going to be out there every weekend doing a match that's a lot more travel in addition to if you're traveling to be around aw television so like and even if jade cargo was working one indie match a month that's really not going to amount to an enormous amount of extra ring time especially given the additional travel that'll probably come with it if we're talking about like an international excursion like if she were to go to stardom or maybe tokyo joshi pro you could go there for a few weeks and you could wrestle a dozen matches over that time period and then you're talking about a much more substantial kind of investment based on time in getting more ring time getting more matches working with different opponents as opposed to the indies which and is quality, probably the not talent that they efficient. would work
0: with and the quality of talent you'd work with in Stardom or Tokyo Joshi Pro or AAA would probably be better than the quality of talent that you would be able to work with on US Indies,
1: mm-hmm. especially as a woman.
0: Unless they let her do inter-gender matches,
1: which you could do, and it might be good for her. I mean, that would be the that would be the the point. But I I don't think we're going to see it with Jade. I mean, but but you can say Brock Anderson. You can say like I think like other like you know they signed Allen Angels based on kind of one match he had with Kenny Omega. Um, and they, you know, they gave him something on television. They put him in a group and he had some matches, but I think he was the person to say, like, I need to go somewhere where I can wrestle more regularly. And it's just not going to be an AEW. So I know he's going to impact. I know he's back on the Indies and he's I don't, I haven't looked at his cage match recently, but I assume he's working more regularly and he's working a variety of different opponents and he's very young and he's kind of basically, he made the decision of being, I'm not uh, cool with just taking an AEW paycheck. I want to do something more with my career. Um, And obviously if, and, and it goes both ways because if even though if AEW is like, oh, we don't really, you know, we signed Allen Angels, but we don't really have anything else for him. We're not going to offer him a new contract or something like that. Um, and you could say, well, that's AEW's fault because they never gave him an opportunity. But at the end of the day, you're going to be a guy without a job. So yeah. it does behoove talent to kind of take their own agency as far as like pushing for, whether it's working more indies, like talent. Like I know Max Caster, I mentioned already, I believe Darius Martin or, or Dante Martin both have worked a substantial amount of indies um, since being signed by by AEW. There are talent out there that are that are putting in that kind of work um, and I think in AEW, it's like, you're kind of asking the talent to want to commit to that, to want to be great. And some talent is going to be willing to do that. And other talents just gonna be like, I'm I'm cool making my, I'm on TV occasionally. And I'm, I'm making it, I'm in a big wrestling promotion and I'm, you know, I'm making it as a pro wrestler. And I think that's what most people aspire to do. Um, and maybe they don't see themselves climbing up the card or, or don't really care to.
0: I think it's going to be a question because we we're, we're what? four years into AEW now, just passed, right? If you count double or nothing as the beginning. Um, and how many wrestlers are there who you would say have had a lot of upward mobility in terms of their position on the card in AEW? MJF stands out as one, right? Are there others? Orange Cassidy, I guess. Yeah, I would
1: say Orange has definitely, I mean, the acclaimed, cast you know castor and bowens i would say jungle boy um is up i would say sammy is up too although sammy getting in the jericho appreciation society at an early stage probably helped them um as far as guys who have been positioned at a higher level than they started um i would say
0: uh i guess darby i mean these these are people who feel like bigger stars now mm -hmm. i would say more so through the attrition of having been on television for four years, as opposed to are they in a a lot higher position on the card than where they started?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say the guns, um, you know, they were tag team champions earlier this year, you know, from where they started, which was one of them wasn't even a wrestler. Um, so I'd rate that Billy Gunn is definitely in a better spot than he was when he first started. Um, I think
0: there's a lot of potential in Billy Gunn.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, if you if you're in the airport and you see you know the AW roster, who who whose head are you turning when you see that?
0: I'm gonna vote for him for most underrated in, in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Award.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure there's more. I would say, uh, no,
0: but I, but guess, I, I guess my, I'm, I'm I guess people would be
1: people might push back on this, but Wardlow, in the sense of you know he was basically just a guy on the Indies that most people hadn't heard of when he was first signed by AW.
0: Um, Yeah, but I I question how, I think that's going to be a problem for AEW in terms of developing talent up the card as the years go on here where I don't think AEW's television time and ring time alone is enough to develop talent as efficiently as they would like to. mm
1: Mm-hmm. And and I think this goes back to the indies because of the arms race, because of WWE being really aggressive and AEW in turn being really aggressive at signing talent at early stages, talent is not necessarily being allowed to ferment on the indies at the same way that they were prior to WWE getting aggressive and prior to AEW's existence. And what does that mean? You know, AEW is a lot in a lot of cases built off of the strength of talent that came up through, through the American indies talent like the young bucks um and even people that they've signed since then that you know came from WWE people like Adam Cole people like Swerve those are talent that were again products of the American indies um and you wonder like okay who are going to be AEW's stars of you know in 5 years and they want to bring in like a, a young name like or or a new name like they're going to have to they're going to start with they're inherently going to have somebody who's greener than young bucks or Adam Cole when they sign them and how can that person kind of um you know matriculate through aW and find their way up the card and I think um that's going to be a real question that will have to be answered and aW you know they've signed this they, I they signed uh you know they've they've signed to at least some sort of deal I'm not sure the exact specifics but they've signed Billy Starks they've signed Nick Wayne people that are 18 years old um what are their careers going to be like in AEW like as an 18 year old when you're realistically you know 15 years away from your traditional prime as a pro wrestler how, how does that person matriculate through the system that's a, I think I have you know that's very interesting to see how that develops
0: yeah again, again you know farming your talent out to out to your partners I'm surprised it's something that hasn't happened yet in terms of sending people triple A or to, to the Japanese promotions. Um it it seems like a really good way to develop good relationships with, with those companies and to get something in return eventually. So it's it's a mystery to me, other than, you know, the the talent may be satisfied because they're getting paid well enough to to live. Um but it seems kind of like AWS warehousing talent and not using them as much as they could, which is, you know, they're not getting injured, but they're not developing either.
1: Yeah, and I would expect um, when it first, AWS first started, I think we expected a lot more kind of excursions and talent doing tours in other places because they had these relationships with other companies Um and that has never really materialized um you know we had the the closest we have is like wheeler utah worked the best of the super juniors um right. tournament which you could describe as and like lance archer worked like a g1 and eddie kingston's going to work the g1 this year but those are you know talent that are over the age of 40 that's not necessarily a uh, uh like people going to learn that much going over there as opposed to you can make a case for like Wheeler Utah being a, uh, you know, he, he probably did learn when he was in the best of super juniors. And he's probably someone that's in a better position, uh, you know, now than he was back then. But a lot of these talent that do get in better positions are like, Wheeler Utah's in a better position really because he's in a stable that's pushed heavily. Um, not necessarily like as independent act. Uh, is he taking And that I would
0: effort? say in, in ring, I mean, Wheeler is a very good wrestler. Mm-hmm. already he was a very good wrestler when i wrestled him in 2019 he was he was good you know yeah he did, uh, yeah the things he needs to develop are are other things be right
1: he was a he was a um you know like a, a tv ta- ready talent before when he was signed to aw um which is most of the fact that that's most of the people that they are going to sign um i think it'll be really interesting to see um well let me let me shift gears a little bit because i think i don't i think we talked about this on an episode of after, um, Uh, Double or nothing, but Brian Danielson was talking about talent getting over and training talents and developing talents in in the press conference, and he mentioned something along the lines of talent that have good fundamentals, and he mentioned Daniel Garcia as a as a specific example. Talent that have good fundamentals are better suited than talents that can necessarily do extraordinary things like. And he mentioned, you know, Daniel Garcia maybe would get over immediately if he was like commander and could do a bunch of, you know, crazy high spots that people would immediately react to. But in the long run, when those, the pops kind of dry up for doing the same kind of high spots, Daniel Garcia is a much better position for whatever his, you know, whatever turn his career takes because he has the solid fundamentals to pivot to if he oh he needs to be a babyface now oh he needs to be a heel now oh he needs to wrestle this way oh he needs to wrestle that way having the fundamentals that allow you to kind of tra- transition between different styles and different roles is a superior way to kind of establish yourself as a wrestler even though it might not be the most immediate way to success and I thought that was a really interesting answer to a question and I made me think a lot about like is it is it bad in some cases if talent shows some potential in some way early because then expectations become greater? And then if you don't live up to those expectations, you're seen as disappointment or the company is seen as disappointing for for failing when realistically it was just kind of an outcome of expectation, oversized expectations.
0: Yeah. What, what came to mind from that point that he made was the the troubling incentive which is really pronounced i think on the indies in, in 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 at least one way to get over right away um versus having patience because you know if you're an indie worker and you want to get booked in as many places as possible there's a lot of pressure to do something that just gets you over right away and i think the things that get you over right away at least on the indies maybe beyond that are the things that you know, make you kind of a you know a comedy act or a novelty act, as opposed to, I think like the somebody said something about Bret Hart, which or, which was, or maybe it was it was about Steve Austin. Anyway, they said you know you're you're not going to get over right away, but once you're over, you'll be over for good. And there's so much about wrestling culture, I would say, that doesn't allow for that, and then therefore does not allow wrestlers. To get to get as over as they could, and therefore does not allow wrestling companies to make as much money as they could, um, because there's a lot of rewarding, instant gratification or instant get you know people who get get over instantly, um, come out dancing or something like that. Um, all right, there, there's a there's a wrestler who I came up with who should be a major wrestling star today <laughs> and because he was so good um and at a certain point a few years in i think he you know he got he got this this kind of affected him and he he became less of a serious wrestler and he became somebody who who leaned more on being silly and you know shouting out ridiculous things and wearing ridiculous things and his choice to do that he saw as being immediately rewarded because do you think people he would he would say things to the effect of do you think people gave a shit about me when I was doing that that stupid serious act? No, they care about me now because I'm doing this. And on its face you couldn't argue with them. Uh, the reason why he's not a major wrestling star is not related to this necessarily. <laughs> Different but, oh I but, thought it was I
1: thought we were talking about Seth Rollins.
0: Seth Rollins no, no, no I know no and never met Seth Rollins. Uh but you know, he, he, I think he could have been, if he had st- stuck to that serious act that he didn't want to do anymore, I think there was, if he pursued it, there was an outing for him to become, you know, like a, a major star in Ring of Honor doing work-rate matches that people on the internet loved and would travel, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles to come see. Um But that, the the culture that we have in wrestling doesn't doesn't reward that. It rewards... You know, people who do funny, ironic gimmicks—they get over very quickly because oh, I know exactly what I've got here. That's a known quantity. Um, promoter notices it and books you. Versus having the patience to let somebody get over, which sort of systematically in indie wrestling is not there, right? Your your indie promotions are running a show once a month, maybe. So there's certainly no week to week to to really develop somebody to see how how they get over over time, because you're only being seen by a given audience maybe once a month maybe less frequently, there is more of a, of a of a pressure to do something silly and therefore that gets over, but does but gets over gets over at a more shallow level.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point, especially because do you think part this of really that
0: this is related to, to what Danielson said somehow.
1: Yeah. but do you think part of that well and that and that's kind of what basically Danielson said was like, you know, like again using Daniel Garcia as an example, it's like he would probably get more instantly over if he came out and did, you know, some exciting high spots or things like that.
0: Or if he but danced. That,
1: well, oh, he does that. Well, look, the dance is getting over. But with the, but the, the, but to talk about Danny Garcia's like the dance, like the dance gets over, but if, if w- the dance has a shelf life, right? God, I hope so. <laughs> the, the dance has a shelf life. And he is positioned to, if the dance no longer gets over, and his character isn't really based around the dance, that's that's not really how his character. But the the thing is, if that not if that stops getting over to the degree that it's over at, he can move on to something else because he has the fundamentals to kind of do anything else. Um, As opposed to, oh, I get over doing this one trick. Let me keep doing that, and then all of a sudden you lose the kind of patience that it would take to develop uh, a broader skill set to allow you to succeed in kind of any situation. I do wonder if like this is influenced at all, especially when you reference the indies and, and definitely like when we see things on television, like if it's influenced at all, like how we analyze pro wrestling in that, like each week there is a you know a- episode of Raw, an episode of Dynamite, an episode of SmackDown. And then we talk about what happened on that show and people will be critical of something, especially if it's like the first time we saw something. I think Jungle Boy's promo on Wednesday night is a good example. Jungle Boy's first ever heel promo Uh, He comes out, cuts a heel promo. I think I got mixed reactions, but everyone is talking about, oh, it's heel promo. Oh, it's no good. It's this, it's that. And it's like, well, it's his first ever heel promo. Like, I think there's pressure on him to immediately establish himself as this incredible heel character that's very different than his previous character. But the truth is, it's only his first ever heel promo. Like, it's going to take time for him to... Get that down and we shouldn't be necessarily so reactionary to the, the first time he ever did it. It's probably gonna take months and it's probably gonna take dozens of times of him doing it for him to really um tap into his potential in that role. Um, but does professional wrestling have the patience for that? Does the fans it would be take- nice if there
0: were somewhere for him to have experiences like like that before actually doing them on television too? Um, but I guess you you're saying that like you think the analysis of of a wrestler's performance like jungle boy uh his promo people on you know on online i guess and, and reviewing shows not that you know saying not it's not that great that mm-hmm. that then emboldens or you know helps already make up the mind of of the audience that's going to be there week to week in the arenas
1: i think that influences it in some way it depends if you know a ta- it depends on an individual a talent might be you know, pretty reactive to stuff that they see on social media. Another talent might be totally ignorant of it. Um, a promoter or booker or key decision maker might be, you know, cognizant of what they're saying online. Someone like Vince McMahon doesn't care, doesn't know and doesn't care. Um, so it, it's going to depend on a case by case basis. But when I talk about like, I do think that there will be, there's an expectation for immediacy, immediate returns on something like to use an example is like Jungle Boys Heel promo. There was an expectation that he was going to be immediately a much different and presumably better talker than he was as a babyface. He's kind of the same from a delivery standpoint as a heel. um, And that realistically should be expected given his experience level. Uh, But I think some people demand more because the idea is he's, he's starting this new character and it's going to kind of be over instantly. Um, And I wonder if that has an influence on, how long we see this character and how he's presented going forward.
0: Yeah. I think if he cuts a good promo, I think regardless of how many people bear have buried his previous Mm -hmm. (laughs) promos in their review shows, I think it's going to get over alive with the audience. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, let's take a look at a more extreme case to like, see if this is true. Like people perceive broadly, whether that's true or not, people perceive broadly Baron Corbin to not be a good wrestler. If Baron Corbin has a match that is genuinely great, whatever that means, is it gonna get over? Probably. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what the fans have predisposed in their minds, I think.
1: Yeah. I think I'm thinking about like from a patience perspective, and that like fans naturally are not going to be willing to give Jungle Boy probably enough time, Jack Perry, uh enough time to grow into this role that would probably be required for him to really excel in it. Um, because there's pressure on him to be good at it immediately. Um and that's probably not good from a talent development perspective. I think and and the other thing is
0: And the, and this the patience is, my, is incumbent on Tony Khan then.
1: Right. And I think I think this whole think the whole four pillars marketing strategy using that as a brand i don't think that did anyone any favors i don't think leaning into it i think it put a lot of pressure on talents that we largely had no idea how good they were going to be uh on as a as characters on a weekly national television show um obviously mjf has excelled i would say that darby has done uh pretty well himself i would say sammy and, and jack perry are are behind. And it puts a lot of pressure on them when, especially when you don't really know how good they're, they're going to be. Um, we've seen it in WWE plenty of times, mid sick man becomes fatuated with somebody they push them kind of hard, present them as a star, usually well before they're ready. Um, and it has had a lot of negative impacts on a lot of different careers. And I do think that is a strategy that some wrestling companies are using and I don't know if like the 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 juice is worth the squeeze on that one. I think it's a risky bet to to put a lot of pressure on 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 t- un- talent that you're uncertain about how good they're going to be um because it sets a very high bar and allows people to be easily disappointed when they don't hit it
0: how, how did the, the in, in the case of aw where, where did the four not not all Japan for wrestling, where did the four pillars was that an aw choice was that you know branding that they embraced I don't remember
1: um i want to say that it was mjf mentioned it in a promo and he mentioned mm-hmm. that those specific names i want to say that was the case i'm not 100 percent sure if that's exactly what happened but if my memory serves that was right but aw has leaned into it they sold merchandise they had people yeah, bring it's it been up mentioned
0: in, in promos for sure, in other
1: yeah. promos and things like that obviously the the four-way at double or nothing was built around the idea yeah. that these are the four yeah. pillars um which is obviously inspired by all japan pro wrestling uh the four pillars of heaven um and so, the, the AEW leaned into that and embraced that label, and I think it has hurt the, hurt talent, especially when you look at the AEW roster since that f- original promo was cut. And think about all the other young talent that they have added, and talent that you could say is more deserving of a main event push than what we have seen from Sammy Guevara or Jack Perry so far. And that's not. I'm not necessarily disappointed in Sammy Guevara or Jack Perry's performances in AEW. Uh, I think that they have done a lot of great things, uh, as talents. But you put them in a position where they're going to be the future world champions, and that's a high bar to clear. And a lot of most wrestlers that are put in that position are not going to succeed. You have to be really confident in them. I think to kind of give them that label.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that label was placed at a time when aw's talent depth was not nearly as deep as it is right. now, right it
1: wasn't outrageous I mean. at the time it's like oh really you're gonna build the future around jack perry and it's like well yeah he's really young he didn't have a lot of experience before he was signed he clearly has um kind of an intangible babyface charisma that you can't really teach that people like obviously his dad was this famous celebrity and he looks just like him um it wasn't like a crazy thing to suggest that. Just over time, you were to say like, okay, if I'm looking at my under 35 prospects in AEW, is Jack Perry one of the four prospects he would look at pushing the most? Probably not. Um, and that's kind of the standard he needs to hit.
0: But at the time, maybe. Yeah. In, in 2019, whenever that label got, got placed on. But you're
1: putting that label for the future. It's not just the time and place. Yeah. Um, especially because you keep bringing it up. We've seen it. I was actually thinking about this when I mentioned when I was thinking about talent development, um, especially when I was thinking about WWE's roster. I was thinking, we haven't had like a Vince McMahon guy in a while. Like, you know, your your Bobby Lashley's, your Chris Masters, you know, like was Lars Sullivan like the last Vince McMahon guy, like someone that they were just gonna push like really hard, kind of because by Vince
0: McMahon guy, you mean someone who's tall and really muscular?
1: Yeah. And that gets pushed like when they're really green. Like we haven't had one of those in like a while.
0: Almost is really big and tall, but not really muscular. And he's not a bodybuilder type anyway. Right,
1: right. And they never really went all the way with almost like.
0: It's, it seems Paul is, is pumping the brakes on him, but. um, Other names that 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 uh otis and montez for definitely not i mean those aren't people who've been super pushed either but those are just pure projects um is it somebody in in the the, the type of you know mason ryan or matt morgan or
1: right these Whoa. people used to pop up like every six months or so there would be like a new vince guy a tom, a tom mcgee type uh wrestler <laughs> That and yes. if we haven't had one of those, like, I guess some would say Austin Theory, but I don't think he's like protected at all. Um, in the way that you would look at like these guys who would get monster pushes, would be
0: Batista would be sort of. I mean, not that he was pushed that way necessarily, look,
1: but well, look, everyone is a who gets like a wins a world title and stuff like that is a Vince guy. Like you could say Roman Reigns is obviously like uh, a, a, a perfect against guy, but Roman, despite my criticism. Brock Lesnar. Yeah, but despite my criticisms of Roman, Roman obviously was is much more substantially talented than a lot of, and had you know a lot more kind of experience than than some of these these guys that you mentioned, like you you know your Matt Morgans, your Mason Ryan's, um, your Bobby Lashley when he first got started, Chris Masters, like these guys who really were really green, not ready yet, got pretty prominent roles on television early in their careers and were protected in booking because they had a certain look that Vince was infatuated by and Vince saw the next Hulk Hogan or the next Steve Austin uh, in them. And then he gives up on them. And I think Lars Sullivan was kind of the last guy I feel like who really kind of had that. And that just obviously didn't work out for a number of reasons. Um, uh, Drew McIntyre. Madcap
0: Moss is close, but he obviously wasn't pushed that way.
1: Yeah, I guess they're a little bit more protective of these guys. Like you, you go back and say like Sheamus when you, you know he was made WWE champion, and the idea was that he was going to be a huge babyface champion. Um, his his you know his career has been much more successful than than the other guys who kind of burned out quickly. Um, but uh, I'm surprised, given you know the youth movement, the frustration with NXT. Obviously, Vince you know has been I guess in and out of power over the last year or so, but. I'm surprised we haven't seen like a new like Vince project really come up and get a huge giant push.
0: As Braun Strowman would be a good one, right? Um, who who is in, in developmental right now? Who's in NXT or or deeper in, in developmental? That right. Would, you even don't even fit. see like the
1: the con- like like Braun Breaker is protected, but he he's not. He doesn't. He's she's too short basically to have like the 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 look that Vince really likes. Um but there's not like a guy in NXT who's really being pushed. I mean, that part of it is like NXT right now. We've talked about this on WrestleNomics. NXT is kind of being games to t- during TV you know, rights negotiation season. NXT is, is trying to be presented as more of a serious third brand than necessarily as developmental. And if you look at the NXT television and who is kind of wrestling a lot of matches and, and the NXT takeovers and kind of who, who are being featured, on, on those programs. It's not a bunch of green people that have only been wrestling for under a year. It's a lot of veterans, a lot more people with, you know, independent experience and things like that. Um, so it's a little bit different. Yep. Oh, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> is there anything else that, that, any other topic or, or a thing related to this that we didn't get to?
0: I don't know. I mean, like, I haven't trained in, in, you know, since early 2020. I've been there a couple times, but I haven't, you know, been the one who's been training people. I mean, I, I kind of touched on it. But like, the as far as the things that I that I think made our, our training relatively successful is these weren't huge classes with like 30 people. I was training like five people at a time. And I wanted people who were there often, I guess that's, that's not an issue if you're hired to do it. Um, but you know, and, and I felt like I, I could teach people the fundamentals if I was just given the time to do it. And I'd be curious to know what, what w s process is like, um, in most cases <laughs> I could negotiate somebody's body into doing, into doing the fundamentals of wrestling. Um, yeah, and just you know, sort of, in instilling a you know a vision of wrestling that is that is beyond WWE, which sort of by its by its nature in W you're not going to get, I guess, but you know who knows what 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 they really think and what they really study, uh, when cameras are off. Um, but yeah, I just uh, it's it's curious why there isn't better development there than there is. Hmm.
1: All right. Well, I want to thank you so much, Brandon, for coming onto the show. Um, I want to thank all of my listeners and all the uh, the kind words and compliments I've gotten for the last few episodes. I really appreciate that. We're definitely getting a, a really positive feedback uh, for the show over the last few months. So I want to thank everyone who's reached out and said nice things about the show, whether it's on social media or personally or things like that. Um, I really do appreciate that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, again, thank everyone for listening and I'll talk to you again in a while. Hola, hola, my name is Ricardo. I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and, of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the progressing world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Yovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.